0: you're listening to episode 345 of the Good New World Order, my name is Klaatu. I'm not talking about COVID-19 in this episode. If you want to hear about COVID-19, see my next episode, episode 346. That is a special episode dedicated to COVID-19 topics. I don't generally discuss current events on this show at all, but I figure a global pandemic is a notable exception. Notable enough to make an exception for. CDR tools. CDR tools. Why would we talk about CDR tools? Well, because it's the next one in line. If I look into the var slash var slash log slash packages CDR tools, I see that there are about eight different commands, nine, ten. It's kind of difficult to delineate them in a way because some of them are kind of um, like really similar to each other and so on. So um we we'll, we we'll, we'll talk about those and if we get through them all and maybe we'll tackle the the G manager uh CG manager but I'm not making any promises yet. So I'm getting all of this in in case you don't know. This is a bookmark that I've got. Uh, that I don't usually use bookmarks in my web browser, but the ones that I do use are generally package uh repositories. So one is um I I I kind of call them pubs, P U B uh because For whatever reason, a lot of the projects that I initially started tracking would name the repository in a sub... The the repository would go under a subdirectory called slash pub. So if you go to, for instance, ftp.osuosl.org slash pub slash slackware, that's where you find all the packages. And uh, in this particular case, of course, it would be under slackware64-14.2, I am not tracking current um, for many reasons, but certainly for this show, it's just I don't think it pays. Let's just, we'll just track what I'm using. So um, then you go into Slackware 64 for all the different packages, and then you see that the, there's a AP package set or a software series is what they call them, I guess, traditionally in Slackware, and um, as you recall, we ca- covered CD uh, paranoia and, uh, well, BPE, CD Paranoia, CDR, DAO in the previous episode, and then this episode we're going to call, we're going to do CDR tools, and that starts with an application called BTC Flash. Now, I'm not going to demonstrate this one for lots of different reasons, um, but if I go to BPC, what is it, BTC, B, BTC Flash, yeah, BTC Flash, I go to the man page there, it says it's a firmware flash utility for BTC DRW1008 DVD plus minus RW recorder. And it says that it is used to read update, that is what it says, it says used to read, R-E-A-D space, update the firmware. I'm assuming it means read and update, or read or update the firmware for a um, model number. It then says, be very careful when writing firmware, as this program does not check for the correctness of the target device. So I am going nowhere near this application. Sorry, I'm not going to screw something up just to demonstrate a, a, a the, the, the firmware flashing utility. Uh, and I don't think you would want me to anyway. So there you go. That's BTC Flash. It exists. I'm assuming that it exists for a good reason. Probably. Okay, well, I mean, it obviously exists for a, a known reason someone needed to update their firmware on their uh, bt or the, yeah btc drw1008 device i'm going to guess and i could be guessing wrong i'm going to take a sip of coffee here hold on i'm going to guess that's really good coffee i'm going to guess um that it is included with this package because it was a very common firmware to find on cd drives that's my uneducated, unresearched guess. I'm just assuming that that's why it's bundled with all of these other tools. It could really have been completely arbitrary. It could maybe... Pat saw it and said, oh, that seems useful. I'll throw it in. Maybe Pat saw it and said, oh, my CD-ROM drive is that model number. I will bundle this with my distribution. I don't know. But um, it's it's obviously pretty darn specific. So... Um, But, you know, I mean, CD drives and and lots of hardware, I mean, they all end up using the same, like, chip underneath all the extra parts. So I'm wondering if it was just a... It's considered a very, maybe, universal uh, chip or something. So anyway, the next one in line is CDDA 2MP3. And this is where it gets kind of fuzzy, where you, you try to estimate how many commands we're actually talking about, because actually cdda2mp3, cdda2aug, and really arguably cdda2wave are kind of the same applications. I mean, I don't know that they are by any means. Um, In fact, I guess we can find out. We could do file cdda2mp3, and it looks like that is a shell script, so I wonder what would happen if we looked at that shell script. Um to it might be too long to really parse quickly uh it looks like it is the the shell script that launches cdda to mp3 does appear to be a front end for cdda to wave and i thought it was going to be a front end to something else but i'm not seeing where that where that thing is ah here we go um mp mp coder or decode coder Equals lame, yeah, there we go. So that's that's what I was kind of looking for. So yeah, it's a shell script. So um, and I guess we should really quick let's look at the. I'm assuming the og one is also a shell script, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of hope that the cdda2wave is a binary, and that is exactly what it is. So cdda2mp3 and to og are both quick and easy wrappers around the the big command cdda2wave. CDDA is um, a, a designator to represent that there's digital audio structure on a disk. So if you have a CD that you purchase from a store, you remember CDs. Maybe you get them from uh, op shops or thrift stores, as they say in the U.S. Um, you, it, you, you could Because obviously CDs also have computer data on them, or, or can have computer data on them. And so when you're saying, okay, well, this is a CDDA disk, then we know that there is it's a compact disc with digital audio stru- uh, files and structures on it. I mean, you can obviously have digital audio on a CD that aren't in the format of a you know so something that you can put into a CD player uh, because a CD player is a very dumb device. it It looks exactly for a very specific thing. And if it doesn't find those things, then it generally doesn't play. Now, later in the lifespan of, of um of boom boxes, you would find CD drives that were that had a lot of sort of software behind them such that you could put, for instance, a disk full of m p three tracks, and the CD drive would recognize the that this disk as a a compu- as as a a dump of data that were files and it would it could parse those files and so on. So that's the difference between like CDDA, which is just, hey, a bunch of tracks of digital audio, play it like that, versus, hey, this is a computer disk, it could literally have anything on it. I guess not literally, because you couldn't put, like, a horse into a CD, but you know what I mean, like, it, 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 says it has computer data on it, it could be practically anything. Okay, anyway, so CDDA2 wave, we kind of used, I think, when we were using CD Paranoia and probably CDRDAO, possibly, because I, no, I think CD Paranoia, but it, it invoked CDDA2Wave, if I'm recalling correctly, to rip tracks from the disk, and that's pretty much what CDDA2Wave does. You feed it a a disk, you possibly point it at the device that you want it to look to, I mean, it's pretty good at self-discovery for, for from from what I've seen. Um, I think that a long time ago people would have two drive, two CD, just two optical drives because I remember because I was working in computer stores a lot a long time ago, people would come in and they'd be buying a computer off the shelf um, because that's what people who go to stores for computers do. And when you do that, obviously the the big like one of the one of the really easy and obvious disadvantages of doing that is that you, you you have to buy everything together. You don't get to piecemeal your computer together. So people would come to the store and they'd, they'd look at, you know, I don't know, a compact Presario or something like that. I don't really remember the models that were around, but that sounds like a, a realistic one. Um, they would look at them and they would think, okay, well, this one's affordable, but it has only a cdr drive in it this one's a little bit more expensive and it has a CDRW drive in it and it's got a better graphics card and it's got twice the amount of ram so it was one of those sort of catch all or not catch 22 but like a yeah you you kind of it was all or nothing you know you could either get the one that you could afford with this loser cdr read-only drive in it or you could get the one that you really shouldn't afford and it has better everything but what you really want is the one that you can afford with a better CD drive in it. So what people would sometimes do is purchase the one that they could afford and then with their spare you know with an, an additional 100 120 dollars whatever it was back then, they would buy a dedicated external CD RW DVD RW whatever drive uh, that they can just attach to their computer when they needed it. And of course the the big quandary at that point was, well, if I'm going to spend hundred and twenty on this uh, on this external drive, maybe I should go ahead and just spend the extra three hundred on the bump up to the next model, even though I don't have three hundred dollars that I can spend right now, but I mean I, or a, an extra three hundred. But I mean, it just feels stupid to invest one hundred and twenty in one external drive when I could pay three hundred and get the internal and a better graphics card and twice the RAM. You know, so it was it was miserable to see people walking through that logic and trying to figure out which was actually the smarter decision to make. Because there's no right answer, or I guess there's probably maybe a right answer, but there's no easy answer. Anyway, I'm assuming that's why they let you choose your device. I mean, like, in real life now, I can't imagine anyone having two optical drives. I, can't, I can barely imagine anyone having one optical drive. I mean, except that I do have an optical drive available to me right now, so I guess I, I could imagine it pretty easily if I tried. So here let's let's try this command out. So I've got my trusty CD drive attached to my computer and I will do cdda to wave... oh actually I'm going to going to go to a dedicated directory for this because I'm pretty sure it just writes it to your current directory. So I'll make a make a directory and I'll just call it I don't know CD rom. It's not a CD rom I guess it's it's but whatever. Doesn't matter, don't care. cdda to wave and then I'm going to hit return. And it tells me that the operation is not permitted. So if I do cdda2 wave dev equals slash dev slash sr0, then it finds the cd drive and is saying that it's interesting. It's giving me a bunch of errors, actually, that I didn't get, for instance, with cd paranoia. It's not errors about the disk, it's a permissions thing. It, it keeps telling me that the operation is not permitted, cannot send SCSI command via I/O control. That's. It's just interesting to me that that's the output that I'm getting. But it, it is ripping the, the CDDA tracks off of the disk. I'm going to cancel out of this with Control c and I'll just do a quick LS. And yeah, it looks like audio.wave and then audio.inf exist in this directory. So that's success to me. Now I could be a little bit fancier and use some of the other some of the other abilities of this application. So, for instance, I could do cdda two-wave and then dev equals slash dev slash sr zero and I'll follow it by dash cddb equals one. So that's telling it to probe the cddb online service that contains track listings for practically everything that's Ever been released and uh, assign those track names to the the tracks that you are you're, you're ripping from from the, the the album. I could also specify, for instance, a speed. If if you for some reason know that your drive is capable of something faster than what you feel CDDA is defaulting to, uh, CDDA2Wave. Um, I'm gonna look up. To see if they tell us the default it says yeah the default is to extract at maximum speed there's also things like i don't know dash stereo to specify that it's in stereo uh dash paranoia to use lib paranoia which i don't know exactly the difference between just using cd paranoia and using cdda 2 wave with dash paranoia i'm not sure what the difference between those two processes would be, but those are options. You can uh, do a slash a dash lowercase v. I don't know what that's supposed to stand for. Um, it, it is which what to grab from the disk. I, I generally um, would just do dash v all because I I don't think. I'm not usually ripping just one track myself but you can specify just a single track you can do that there are lots more options so if you're actually using this tool by all means reference the man page it's very it is very complete it's it's not uh, it's not a great read but it is a very good reference okay so next up is cd record another application I've never actually used myself cd record is the the, I guess, sort of the inverse of CDDA2 wave, or or I guess even more broadly, it's, it's, it is recording a CD. It's, it's writing data to a CD, as the name sort of suggests. And it, it, it seems to be a pretty common model that, for instance, you are extracting something from some device and then writing it to the CD. So a lot of their examples in the man page and and suggestions on how to use it involve either first using some other tool like cdda2wave to get tracks off of one disk and then cdrecord to put them back on to put them onto a blank disk Uh, but there's also things like piping the output of make isofs which we'll talk about shortly here directly into cdrecord so you're making the imprint the, the sort of the file system that's going to go onto the Optical media, and rather than writing it to your out, you know, the, the hard drive, you're, you're just writing it to a disk. So that's, I think that's the expected use case, but since I'm not even going to do this in real life because I don't have a blank disk on hand, I'll just kind of talk about really quickly the the expected use just as, as a command on its own, which would be CD record and then space dev equals and slash dev slash SRW or SR zero dash DAO for disk at once. We kind of saw some hints of that with CDR DAO. And then um, whatever files you want to write to the CD. So for instance, asterisk dot wave. Now if this was the output of some other uh, command that's sort, of, uh, sort of expected within this tool chain, then you might have additional options that you would want to pass. For instance, maybe if you had extracted information from a, a disk that you need applied to your your copy of that disk then dash use info would be a useful option for you to use and that way you can you can be sure that the dot inf files are are included on that disk so you know there, there may be any number of of other options that you need to include and i'm not going to go through all the possible options because there are lots of them if you're not doing a cd uh, disk Then maybe you are just recording some data to a disk, in which case you could do cd record dev equals path to your device, so slash dev slash sr0, and then the file that you want to write to it. So if you're doing something very specific, you would want to, again, look at the man page and kind of reference what all of your, what all the different options are, because there are many. And like I say, I, I just, you know this is great for scripting, and that is—I can only imagine that that would be the only reason someone would use this over something like K3b or some GUI application to structure a, a disk. Um, because in my experience, in my fairly limited experience of of writing to optical media, I feel like a lot of times the the write process is a big event. So. You do it once, and it, and you feel okay spending like an hour or two hours structuring it exactly like you want it structured, because this is it. This is the this is the end result. This is the gold master from which all other copies are going to be made. So I, I can't see sort of really trying to figure out all these terminal uh, options over just using something that kind of makes it drop dead. Easy for you. That's just me, and I could be wrong, or, or you know, I guess I'm not wrong. I'm just saying, like, there are many other use cases for CD record. So I I, I realize that other people probably used this terminal command with great efficacy for a different workflow than I ever had. And and you know, it's 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 interesting because uh, HandBrake, for instance, the DVD ripper I I had to use all the time at my previous job at a film school. And I would always use that uh, from a terminal because that was much faster for me, and I, it was something that I was doing all the time. The GUI version of that I couldn't stand; it slowed everything down, and it was never worth it. But the Handbrake version, the the terminal version, Handbrake CLI is what they called it, the command. It would it would be so fast you could script exactly what you needed or roughly what you needed, and then add a couple of options as 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 necessary for a specific disk and and you'd be you'd be you'd be done it was very nice okay so that was CD record now we're getting into some of the more interesting ones actually like ISO dump ISO info and make ISO FS so I think we what we should do is go get a coffee real quick and then we'll come back and we'll talk about these cool ISO commands coffee in front of you. These are some fun commands now, so I'm very eager to get to them. So the the first, I guess, sort of cluster of commands, once again, a lot of these are related, so the first cluster is um, devdump and isodump, and then within the isodump cluster, there's a subcluster of isodebug, isodump, isoinfo, and isovify, which really verify, V-F-Y, and... So I'll, I'll kind of probably just talk about these almost as if though they were one command. So dev dump is a crude utility to interactively display the contents of device or file system images. ISO dump is a crude utility to interactively display the contents of ISO 9660 images for directory integ- integrity. So what that means sort of in plain English is that if I do dev dump slash path to my image file and I have a I have an, a Raspberry Pi image file here that I just got from Raspberry Pi Foundation. You know, their 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 little boot image or something. No, I'm sorry, you know what that? That's NetBSD. I, I bet that's NetBSD. Anyway, whatever it is, it's an image file for a Raspberry Pi. And I'm doing a dev dump on that image. And so it, it clears my screen and shows me a new screen with a bunch of information about sort of what I'm looking at on this on this uh, on this image file. It's not a whole lot to look at. There's no ASCII text to. But it, it looks like if you ever tried, if you've tried the um, BPE editor that we we talked about last week in the last, previous episode, it looks like that. It's a dump of well, specifically, it's a, a dump of the first uh, 256 bytes out of the initial 2048 byte sector that's that's what it is Uh, it's just in this case there's not a whole lot to look at now a little bit more interesting though would be for instance ISO info and then I think I can just point it at again and I'm gonna do an ISO this time because it won't it's this is I I, the dev dump is for a device or file system image whereas ISO dump specifically is for ISO nine six six zero images and ISO 9660 is the universal spec for optical media. That's the universal file system structure for optical media. It was later supplanted by UDF, the Universal Disk Format. So whatever we're using here, I should be able to read it with ISO Info. And so I'm, I'm giving it a path to my ISO directory in my 8x, in my X86 uh, subdirectory. And here's a CentOS-8 image, and it's an ISO. I'm going to hit return, and it tells me that, nope, that's not how I do it. I think I forgot the dash I for image, uh, and it doesn't really do a whole lot with that. So I must be forgetting something something else. And I think what I'm, I might be forgetting here is an, an actual f- command, uh, something that I wanted to do. So I'm going to just do a dash H for help initially. And yeah, it looks like um, there's... So, there's a couple of different subcommands that I could tell it to do. Unfortunately, this whole bundle, this whole ISO and CDR, the CDR tools bundle that I'm dealing with here, all the options, or most of the options are short options, and even the long ones have BSD style um, switches. So, it's a single dash, there are no double dashes. And I don't care so much about the single or the double dash aside from con- consistency. I care a lot about the short versus long options because um, there's just nothing to go off of. Like, if you're reading the man page, and you're down on, you know, the eighth screenful, and you think, and it gives you a sample command, like, here's how you use this thing, and it's, you know, cdda 2 wave v all capital B. you think, you know, there's no indication to you what you're looking for. It's just, it's a series of letters that has no meaning whatsoever. Anyway, I'm not going to go on about that. I've, I've, I've complained about that before. So what I'm going to do here is, um, well, the the most exciting one is a dash l. I happen to know that. So if I do iso info dash l in space dash i and then the path to the ISO file, then I get pretty much the results of ls dash l capital R. So a long listing recursively of all directories on on the on the iso within the ISO file. So that's really, really useful. and, It's quite long, actually. It's about 8,000 lines, so if I pipe it to less, it's a lot more useful, and it's telling me things like there's the um, AppStream directory, BaseOS directory, EFI directory, Images, ISO Linux, AppStream packages, and then a listing of every single RPM in the in in this directory so it's it's really really quite useful and it's one of those commands that i can't believe i just found out this week existed because i i feel like this is exactly what people are actually asking when they ask how do i mount an iso image like i think very often this is all they're actually needing they don't need to mount it just like if, if someone says well how do i extract a tar file i mean the correct answer is exactly yeah tar dash extract dash dash file path to file. But but a good follow-up answer might be, hey, if you don't need to actually extract it, you can just do tar dash dash list dash dash file and then the path to the tar file and so on. So I feel like ISO info is is the the unspoken answer to probably about, I don't know, forty percent of the times people have said, what's that command again to where you mount an ISO image like it was a folder? Because really, all the sometimes all you need is a listing of, of the stuff, or you need a single file out of there. I feel like that used to happen to me on Slackware a lot, because there are some extra packages on Slackware that aren't, when you install it, it doesn't get installed. It's in the slash extra directory, or extras directory. And so to to get those files, you have to mount the ISO after the fact. I mean, you, you could just do it over the network, too. But I just, since I've got the disk, I might as well do it off the disk. Um, and so you have to mount the disk. And I feel like if I'd known that you could just list a disk, that would have been great. So anyway, and, that, and that's one of those things that you don't really think to ask a lot of times, you know, because you, you're just not thinking like that. You don't really know that you can list the contents of this strange new file format that you've never encountered that they call an ISO file. Okay, so there's also, uh, I have to get, see again, no long options, so I have to do a help to get, to, to sort of say what a thing is stands for. So dash D, delta, print information from the primary volume descriptor. I don't know what any of that means, but if you do an ISO info dash D and then dash I and then the path to the ISO, you get all kinds of information from the primary volume descriptor. Things like the CD-ROM is in an ISO 9660 format. System ID, Linux, volume ID, CentOS, dash 8, dash 1, dash nineteen eleven dash blah blah blah. And so on, so you get all kinds of metadata about about a about an ISO file, and and I, I imagine that could be useful at some point. I don't think I would really need it. Um, one nice thing is that you can extract a specified file to the output. That's kind of cool. Um, so if I just do, for instance, um, how do I do just a a little list? Oh, that would be ISO dump. So I'm going to do ISO dump dash I and then path to the ISO file, and that gives me just the, the the root level of that image. I I don't I don't exactly know why ISO dump and ISO info are two separate commands. Uh, honestly, I'm, I'm not clear on yeah why they. I feel like one does the a thing that the other like they're really really closely related, but maybe it's just uh, the way that they had to be sort of coded. It just didn't make sense to mix the code bases that. That's acceptable to to be sure. But um, ISO dump it, it just gives you that top level information and it is pretty useful. It tells you, I mean it tells me right here that in the root directory of this ISO file there's dot disk info, dot .tree, dot tree info, appstream, baseOS, Efi, trans table images, isolinux, linux media dot repo. So now if I want, for instance, to extract the dot tree info, let's say, I mean, it could be any file. it can be any, any file in here, but I'm just going to choose um, just the dot tree info. So I'm going to do a dash x. This is, this is iso info again. We're back to iso info for some reason. Iso info, or does it work? Maybe let me, me see if it actually works for iso dump. Maybe maybe I'm no no it doesn't. It is iso info for sure. Okay, so um, iso info dash x, and then I'm going to put in quotes just to make sure nothing gets eaten by my shell. Dot tree info. Um, I. Th- don't think I have to put the leading slash, and then dash i, and then the path to the iso. Okay, I guess I have to put the leading slash. Yep, there we go. Okay, um, so slash dot tree info, and then I'm going to pipe it to less, because I forgot that this is a a little bit of a long file. Uh, It it dumps right to my standard out the, the, the text file that is dot tree info, and it gives me lots of um, information about what's on this disk, and so on. So that that's kind of a handy one, the dash, the dash x, the, the dash lowercase x. If you do a dash capital X, you will extract all matching files to the file system, and I'm going to have to assume that if you give it no file name, it probably extracts everything. I'm not going to test that out, and I'm not going to look it up. Because I've been going on about this one command for I think long enough. I feel like we've all heard enough at this point. You get the idea. It is a an a tool or a set of tools to look into the different attributes of an ISO or file system image. There's also the um, ISO debug and ISO verify. I don't know how to duplicate or to demonstrate failure for either of those two things. Um, the debug I tried it on the CentOS image and there was nothing printed because I'm assuming that there's no debug information on that in that file. And then verify succeeded, um, so I don't know how to simulate failure. I, I guess I could try to create an ISO and then go in with BPE and um, mess some stuff up. And then run verify on it. But that I don't think that's worth it. You get the idea. ISO verify. It, it exists. You can verify an ISO image that way. You can verify the integrity of the ISO image that way. It's not sort of a it doesn't take like a thumbprint of that file and check it against a, a checksum or something like that. It's just it's just the integrity of, a, of an ISO file. Okay, next up is make ISO F S. That's M K I S O and then F S. And now we get to talk a little bit about what ISO 9660 is. So, ISO 9660 wa- is an open standard developed by the International Standards Organization that was intended for optical media. It is a file system for optical media devices, whether they're CDs or DVDs or, or whatever. But the exciting thing is that it's it's an open standard, so everyone can include this, the, the you know, can can use this specification to ensure that if you feed it a CD or a DVD then it can read that disc. That's a big deal. It's really important. It is one of the reasons I imagine that optical media took off to the degree that it did. Now, pretty early on, two of the major players in personal computing decided that they needed extensions to ISO 9660 so that the that, that a, a disc fed into one of their computers with their operating systems on it would would look or act different so apple mm, had some hfs extensions and microsoft had some joliet uh, i want to say a joliet with a very s- soft j but i, I imagine it's probably just joliet um, extension so you have these extra um, things that get written to to some optical media, and it's usually done, as I understand, as a hybrid, so you don't just have one or the other. You have both on a disc, or maybe you, I guess you could have one on a disc and one on another disc, because I, I do think, I think there were CDs that you could buy that would, you know, I mean, it, they might mount on a different OS, but they wouldn't look quite the same, so I, th- I th- yes, but that would even, that again, that would be a hybrid, I think. So anyway, Point is that there were there are extensions on on these um, on on top of ISO 9660 that would do or that would enable you know file attributes and things like that for specific file systems or hooks into specific functions for that operating system. I assume I actually don't think I've ever seen a optical disc on a Windows computer. I don't think I've ever. Had the opportunity to do that. I think by the time I did have to interact with a Windows machine in real life, the age of CDs was over, and you would just download the driver and install it that way. So I don't, I don't believe I've ever actually seen what happens on a Windows computer when you put a CD into it. So, um, or you know, an optical disc of any sort. So I'm not really too sure. Either way, the the important thing to know, I guess, is that. The reason that, that optical disks tend to be fairly universal is that there's an ISO 9660 specification, and that's it's a file system, so there's a set of expectations when you put it into a drive. There's, there's the expectation that this is what is going to be present. And if you've ever tried to put like a PlayStation disc into a computer or something, it fits, but the computer doesn't know what to do with it because that's it doesn't use the ISO 9660 specification. It it very very pointedly does not do that because it doesn't want to use a format that everyone else has drivers for. Um, At some point, once I think once Blu-ray became a thing ISO 9660 was technically supplanted by a thing called UDF, which I believe I've mentioned on this show a couple of times. I used to rave about it because it was the only multi-platform file system that would that that could handle f- uh, files larger than four gigabytes. And that's that's it, that's all. I mean, it's not just the only open source one; it's the only one. I mean, you can make all the arguments about, well, you know, technically the EXT file systems are multi-platform, but if you've ever actually tried to rely on the EXT file system on, on anything but Linux, then you know that that's not, that's not really what people mean when they say, oh, I need a file system that goes that works on all platforms. I'm talking about if you purchase a laptop from a store and one has Mac preloaded, one has Windows preloaded, one has, uh, let's say, Ubuntu preloaded, can you take a thumb drive with with a specific file uh, file system format on it and plug it in and have the same experience? And the only one that you could do that with, the only two that you could do that with for a very long time was Fat from Microsoft, and which they of course famously would sue people for using, well, sue organizations, businesses for using, and UDF, which is open source. FAT also has the disadvantage of not having the ability to contain files larger than four gigabytes. So if you were in multimedia, then FAT was pretty much a non-starter, and UDF was the way to go, because everyone wanted to be sure that they could read a Blu-ray disc, so they were shipping UDF drivers. And then Mac stopped shipping UDF drivers, and uh, that sort of Beautiful, blissful time of cross-platform data sharing went away. Anyway, make-iso-fs is the thing that creates those file systems, and you can make one yourself pretty easily. It is really simple. You do make-iso-fs, and then you point it to, well, you do a dash-o, which stands for file name, obviously. Um, Dash-o, we'll call it example.iso, and then we point it to the thing that we want... the the ISO to, to contain. And I guess what I'll do is I'll put, um, I'll just put some random stuff from my downloads folder in there. Here is a CA certificate bundle. It's an RPM from a long time ago. I could probably safely delete that at this point. Um, and I'll put this Arduino, Arduino, um, download They're doing a IDE thing. That's two things. That's good enough. Okay, so I'll hit return. It tells me that it's working. And then it tells me, yep, we're good. Extents written is 125 megabytes. And if I do an ls-l, I see that I do have an example. I'm going to back that up and do an ls-lh. I do have an example.iso, and it's 126 megabytes. So now if I do as sudo mount dash o loop example iso slash mnt and then i happen to have a cd-rom directory in mnt that's sort of designated to mount to mount cd-rom images i guess uh, then i'll put in my super secret password uh, if i remember it there we go uh, it says that it's mounted and that the loop 0 is write-protected, so it's mounted read-only. That's to be expected. So I'll do an ls on slash mnt cdrom rom and I, I, I'm going to expect to find... Actually, I'm going to do an ls-a just for fun. I expect to see that there are two, two things there. And yes, it looks like there are. There's arduino underscore dot xz and ca underscore certi dot rpm. So you probably notice that it has abbreviated the file names to... I, I imagine what are, like eight characters plus a three letter extension. I think that's the that's the official old school max limit, right? So to sort of open up the longer file name convention or or ability, you need to use a dash L option, which automatically, as I understand it, enables the rock ridge extensions to ISO nine six six zero. I'm a little bit rusty on on the, the precise extensions being used here, the, the, this the file name may not be part of the Rock Ridge specifications. I'm not sure. Oh, there is a long option to dash l dash full dash iso9660 dash file names. That's surprising, and that is nice. Um, it says allow full 31 character file names. Normally, the iso9660 file name will be in an 8.3 format. So that's yeah, eight characters and then three letters in the extension, which is compatible with MS-DOS, even though the ISO 9660 standard allows file names of up to 31 characters. If you use this option, the disk may be difficult to use on MS-DOS, but blah, blah, blah. Okay, so the that, that clarifies it for me, actually. So it's not Rockridge. It's got nothing to do with Rockridge. Um, it is just the ISO 9660 natively has 31 character ability, but it sounds to me like Make ISO FS itself is truncating the file names for maximum um, compatibility across systems. And you'll come across that sort of thing all throughout Make ISO ISO FS. And kind of, once again, that's one of those reasons I've just never really bothered with, I, I never had the, the, the need to delve into creating discs to that to that degree of granularity. I, I would either make audio discs or video discs, and then sometimes if I was... I, I can't remember really backing up a whole lot to, to CD. That wasn't really my use case. But I imagine if I did that, and I'm sure I have, um, then it was just for me. It wasn't something that I was going to be distributing elsewhere, and so I would just... I would just use whatever CD burner came with the system, trusting correctly that it would generate a disk that would be, then be recognizable and usable from, from that same uh, system. Okay, so next command is make ZF tree. So that's MK ZF and then the word tree. This creates a ZISOFS slash Rockridge compressed file tree takes an input file tree and creates a corresponding compressed file tree that can be used with an appropriately patched make iso fs to create a transparent compression iso 9660 rockridge file system using the zf compression records i have almost no proof of how this works except that i can issue make zf tree against a directory so for instance here's Make zdf tree slash user share docbook2x and then point it at an output uh, folder. I'll, I'll, I guess I'll call it docbook stuff. Hit return. It generates it, and now I've got docbook stuff with everything that was in user share docbook2x is is now in this directory, but it's compressed. So if I make an ISO image pointing the ISO image to make ISOFS using this directory, docbook stuff, as its input, then it creates a. It has compressed it with Zlib, so it creates a compressed or an ISO file system containing compressed data. And it gets automatically decompressed when you read it on certainly a Linux system because this invisible. Compre- decompression, as they call it, is just part of the Linux kernel. It's just been in there since like version 2.4 or something like that. So it's it's been around, and this would be an invisible process for most most of us anyway. And I, I guess it could pose problems if you're writing uh, media for some other platform. Okay, and then the next one is read CD. This one does exactly what it sounds like, and something that it doesn't sound like. It reads data um, from a, a CD. It also bizarrely writes data to a CD, or to, yeah, to a CD. It's it's very surprising that it would write, but it, but it, apparently it does. This is another one in that tool chain of CD. Um, what, what what is it? Make make I make ISO ISOFS and um, ISO dump and so on. So it's, it's kind of part of that sort of implied tool chain. CD record, that was the other one that I was thinking of. And um, really, in, in many ways, this is um, pretty similar to record CD, or CD record rather. There are a lot of things that are basically the same. For instance, if you want to grab um, data off of a CD, you can do read CD dev equals slash dev slash SR0, and then point it to your output with just a single f, no no dash o, no dash dash output, not a dash f, just single f. f equals cd image dot raw, for instance, and then you would you'd you'd get a complete image of that optical um, image or that optical disk um, a- as a as a file. You can limit it to specific sectors if you need to get that that precise. That's something that you can do. So that's that's pretty much what it does. That that's I think the the typical use case i'm not going to explore how it writes to cds because there is there's literally a, a there's cd record in the same package that that at least claims to do the same thing so I, i'm not sure why you would use this one to write back to the cd I'm, I'm not saying there's not a valid reason i just don't know what it is and there's a tool that we've already discussed that does that final two two commands here s c g check and s c g skeleton SCG check is used to check and verify application binary interface of libSCG. So as far as I can understand, and um, once again, this isn't really my wheelhouse, this isn't uh, something that I generally do, but uh, as far as I can tell, this is sort of checking the sanity of a device path. So, for instance, if I do scg check dev equals slash dev slash sr0, uh, it sort of walks me through a a test across different interfaces to this um, well quote unquote SCSI device, which really is of course a USB device. So, specifically my CD-ROM. So it says SCSI scan bus test uh, passed, and uh, it it says it's using the device d- slash dev slash sr0 colon 13, comma 0, comma 0. It provides me the opportunity to override that, but that is correct, so I continue. And it picks up some information from from this thing, and it tells me that it's using lib.scg version shilly 0.9, max DMA buffer, one thousand two hundred twenty two eight hundred and eighty, device type removable CD-ROM, version 0, response format 2, vendor info Asus, identification sdrw08, Delta 2S-U, revision F401, tells me to continue. So it runs a bunch of checks, and it's it's about, geez, it seems like, I don't know, I've lost count now, but 8 or 10 or 12 checks that, that it runs through. And, I don't know, everything looks pretty good to me, because it's not telling me anything otherwise. The The companion command to this is the SCG skeleton. You can get a list of possible... Device name parameters with scg skeleton space dash scan bus or scg skeleton space dev equals help. The former did not work for me. The latter does return sort of a dump of device name parameters. However, none of it makes any sense to me. I don't know what it's talking about. I don't know what it's really referring to. I mean, I can kind of make some educated guesses based on uh, interface keywords and so on but mostly i i suspect that this is a debugging tool for someone trying to maybe either write something for a cd drive uh, an optical media drive or maybe someone trying to get an optical media drive working correctly on their system so that's not something that is useful for me it may be useful for you, in which case you're you're welcome to explore it further. But that's pretty much all all it does for me. So that's the the end of CDR tools, and it did indeed take us a about an hour to get through all that. So I guess that's the end of this episode. Hopefully, some of this was useful to you. I know it's not necessarily the most exciting tool set, given given sort of the the relative deprecation of optical media, at least in my world. Let me know. Maybe, maybe in your world that's not as true, but certainly I, I much prefer the, the the digital digital files for uh, media delivery and USB drives and USB thumb drives and SSD drives and such for storage. Ne- never never really was a fan of of optical media. To be honest, I, I got to be honest with you. It just wasn't. I, I never had a whole lot of faith in it and then it started, you know, then the the discs would start to degrade and sort of justify the lack of faith that I had in the media, which is too bad, because it seems like it it could be, I guess, sort of a good long-term storage in theory, except, as I say, I've I've actually met very few CDs or or DVDs that actually last a, a very, very long time. So that is it. Thanks for listening. I will talk to you next time. World Order Ogcast. This has been Clatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the FreeNode network usually in channels such as Ogcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Clatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Clatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at clatu at member.fsf.org. That's clatu at member.fsf, as in Free Software Foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, GNU World and SlackerMedia.info. I will see you next time. Suffering from information overload. overload, 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 overload.